Good to see all of you. If you open your Bibles to Luke, Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11. We're in this section of Luke that began uh, back in uh, really chapter 10 or so, where Luke has transitioned from talking about who Jesus is and showing who he is to more talking about discipleship and what it's going to take to be a disciple, uh, his disciple, which is uh, something that really uh, obviously has a lot of important uh, applications uh, for us as well. So we're going to begin our study in uh, Luke 11 and verse 24, which connects to the previous section that we did not get a chance to get to where Jesus is being questioned about whether or not he is uh, casting out demons by the power of God or the power of Beelzebub. And of course, they're claiming the power of Beelzebub. And there's all kinds of people sitting on the fence as to who he really is and, uh, and, and the power that he is using. So Jesus has given a good argument against that and now gives a warning that we'll look at, look at in verse 24. So let's, uh, before we start, let's begin with, uh, with prayer. Father, we're very, very thankful to you. Thank you so much for providing for us today, giving us uh, a beautiful day in order to come together to concentrate on you. And we appreciate so much uh, what you have done for us, uh, your salvation for us, and we want to really honor you today. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> uh, this is a this next little section is uh, pr pretty interesting because he's given them warnings about uh, and arguments about how could I be casting out, devil's not going to cast out the devil, and therefore the kingdom of God has come upon you, and uh, uh, I, I am bound, binding Satan, and you're sitting on the fence here as to whether or not I'm the real person. And now look at verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is, the, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. All right, the, uh, the warning first off, uh, the comment of the woman, and then the warning first off uh, from verse 24 through verse 26. So here is a, a strong warning here. So tell me, Tell me what you would say is the, the, the primary point of his warning. What, he, what is he really uh, getting at that we would want to, of course, apply to ourselves and then, uh, and then teach someone else? What's the primary warning here? The warning is that when you remove something, you've got to put something back in. Okay. So first off, there is this idea that uh, you, you, you got yourself in a good condition. You got cleansed, you, you, you got the demon cast out, and you left your house empty. <laughs> Everything was put in order, but nothing filled it up. Uh, that, that's extremely important. Uh, you're saved for a reason. You're not saved just to say, yay, my house is uh, all clean. Uh, you got to do something with the house. So that, that's important. 
what else would be a major point here? Got all the people here who don't normally talk. You're in luck. You get to talk today because I can stand here forever. <laughs> major point. It's an evil spirit that's cast out. He wanders around, can't find any place to live. So he goes and check out, checks out his own house. Hey, that's pretty cool. So he goes and gets seven more spirits more evil than himself and comes and dwells with the person. So what's the, what's his big warning? Jesus actually gives you the main point of his little parable. So always look for what Jesus told you <laughs> in the text. He told you what the main point is. The main point is the last state of that person is worse than the first. So the, the first state of the person was lost. The last state is even worse. And as Adam said, it's worse because you didn't do anything to change your life. You didn't do anything to clean your life up. And you, you're, you left yourself in a position where now you're worse than you were before. And it is more difficult for you to actually repent. Why would you? You didn't appreciate the salvation you had. And so you were willing to allow yourself to go back and be in a actually a worse condition. Uh, do you remember one of the apostles teaching that same principle in one of his letters? Karen. Yeah. You escaped. Right. And now you're entangled. That's right. Yeah, it's a lot harder. So 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22 there, he, he, he teaches that same principle that uh, you... You know, you were you escaped the pollutions of the world, and then you got yourself re-entangled back in them. The last state is worse than the first. You're like a dog who goes back and eats his own vomit. He purged himself of the of the poison inside of him, and he turned around and ate it back up. A pig that has been washed from uh, from being in the mud and turns right around, doesn't appreciate the washing, and jumps right back in the mud. He says, that's what you look like. They're pretty strong words, huh? <laughs> so it's a, it's a huge, huge warning to this generation that are not appreciating who Jesus is, not appreciating what he's done, 
and are uh, unreasonably questioning his signs as if they are uh, either magic tricks or something the devil did or something like that, even though they're admitting a miracle is here, they don't let it penetrate their hearts. I mean, that is really pounding your head against a brick wall. Uh, this, this, is, this is how bad this generation is. And, you know, one of the things all four gospel accounts do is emphasize the absolute hard-heartedness and stubbornness of the Jewish nation. And Jesus will repeatedly say, your judgment is going to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Your judgment's going to be worse than all these other things. He's about to get to some of this uh, because you, you have such an opportunity and so much more was presented to you than any other generation before you, and you've rejected it. That would be a powerful warning to us as well. We have better than they had. They may have seen face to face, but we have so much more. All of the scriptures we have in our hands every single day. And if we don't appreciate that and, and do what we ought to do to give our whole lives to him, then we're, we're in worse condition than the cities of, uh, of, the, of Galilee that he showed his mighty works to. Such a, such a great warning here uh, that he gives. Gives a little insight, just as far as a side note, gives a little insight to evil spirits being cast out, doesn't he? <laughs> they don't like not being in somebody <laughs> and wandering around, you know, trying to figure out where he can go. And so he, uh, he actually finds the house where he left all fixed up and ready for him to move back in and foul it up again. Uh, and so he, so he does. Any other thoughts on that? Okay, good. What's uh, what's it, what's important about what the woman says here? You know, she, she just, she obviously is super, super impressed with the words that she's hearing. She uh, completely is uh, uh, just enamored with who Jesus is and what he's done, and uh, and and just says, man. Uh, what, a, what an honor it, would, it was for the woman who, who gave birth to you uh, to have the, this kind of person. And Jesus answered, you gotta, uh, the one who's really blessed is the one who's going to obey me. Now see how that fits into that whole section? <laughs> He's just like, you're talking about me, I'm talking about you. <laughs> talking about what you need to be doing and what this crowd is not doing. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and actually keep it. Sorry, I didn't Yeah. Uh, it also, in that Greek little earth, contrasts physical and spiritual. A little louder than that. I said in that one little book, <coughs> contrasts because the, the physical with the spiritual. Okay. This is on the spiritual. Yeah, yeah. Uh, contrast that physical with the spiritual. She's all enamored with the woman who gave birth to you and all this, what an honor that was for her and uh, what, you know, great person you are or something like this. And yet he, he's going to, here's my purpose. This is what I'm trying to get done. You hear it and you keep it. You don't just hear it. They've been hearing him over and over again. Every time they come to bring people to heal, he's teaching them. They're hearing it, not doing anything about it. Parable of the sower, right? Same thing, parable of the sower, just acting that same way. All right, anything else on that? Okay, good, good. 
Take a look now at he goes on, and he's, he's still emphasizing this lack of belief, this, this hard-heartedness and stubbornness. Uh, again, teaching us what he's looking for in a disciple. Readiness to hear, readiness to obey, readiness to keep the word. So when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, <laughs> picture this please, the crowds are increasing. He began to say, this generation is an evil generation. All right, start your sermon that way. People are just thronging around you. Crowds are gathering. And he says, this generation is an evil generation. Do I have your attention? <laughs> wow. Uh, I wonder if anybody went, well, that wasn't a fun sermon. I think I'm going to go away. I don't want to think I want to listen. That was the introduction. What's the, what's the body of the sermon going to be like? Pardon? Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes was not, would not give that a very high rating, would it? <laughs> okay, so, so this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. So he's back to those signs, see? He seeks a, it seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at judgment with the men of this generation condemn it. For she came from the ends of the world, uh, ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. <clears throat> Excuse me. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. All right, uh, let's just start with one, obviously, overall picture. You have past faithful people condemning present, unbelieving, unfaithful people. What's interesting about the past people compared to the, who he's talking to, the Jewish people? What's the, what's the contrast? Well, they're faithless, yes, but what's the contrast as far as who they are? Yeah, these are all heathens. <laughs> They're all individuals who are outside of the pale of Israel. They are not the chosen. They have been Gentiles. They've grown up in idolatrous countries. They've grown up in countries that were cursed and condemned by God. They grew up in countries that Israel hated because they had invaded Israel and conquered Israel many times. So all of that is involved here. And Jesus just said on the day of judgment... Those hated people of Nineveh are going to stand up and condemn you. A woman who came a thousand miles to hear the wisdom of Solomon will condemn you because you have such a greater person to listen to and you don't appreciate it. Pretty powerful condemnation that, that you see there. All right, so that, that's, that's the picture, and you can see how scathing that rebuke is and you know again if you're thinking as a Jew how does a Jew think about their salvation how does a Jew how does a Jew decide their salvation it's a based on we're a Jew that's right <laughs> there's my salvation I'm a Jew. <laughs> I'm a Hebrew. I descended from Abraham. I have the offspring promise. That's me. I got it. This is easy. I have no idea how uh, folks can do that 
the Jews could do that and how I've seen people in the church do this, but how the Jews could do that knowing full well that there were a largest, that, that, the, that the percentage of Israel that wasn't saved in the Old Testament, would you say that was a low percentage that wasn't saved or a high percentage that wasn't saved? Mostly not saved. <laughs> Read the prophets. Mostly not saved. A remnant is saved out of the wilderness. A remnant is saved over in the times of Jeremiah. A remnant is saved over and over and over again. Days of Elijah. God's boasting. Oh, Elijah, no, no. No, you're not the only one. I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. I'm sorry, but if I'm standing next to the Lord, I would have gone, well, whoopee-doo, there's like 8 million people in Israel and you're boasting about 7,000? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Not bad. That's how bad they are. Wow. So, uh, strong, strong uh, message here about this. All right, how was Jonah assigned to the people of Israel? I mean, people in Nineveh. How was Jonah assigned? That was a thousand miles away from Nineveh when he did that and got vomited out on the land. He brushes himself all off, cleans himself up, travels a thousand miles or so to go to Nineveh. It took him four months, five months to get over there to condemn the city. Why was he assigned? Pardon? That doesn't make him a sign. Can you imagine a stranger from Israel walking in and going, um, you guys are going to have to repent or God's going to whack you. And they go, who are you? And God said, Jesus said, that he was a sign. He himself was a sign. How was he assigned? And Jesus was assigned in the same way. You can figure out how Jesus was assigned. You can figure out how he was assigned. I know three days and three nights, but how was he assigned to Israel? I mean to Nineveh. Okay, what happened to them caused the people to repent? Therefore, the people of Nineveh repented because it, am I not asking the question very well? Maybe not. Yeah, somehow, somehow they found out. Now remember, how long did it take Jonah to convince the city of Nineveh? How much? I said like five words. Yeah, that's like as soon as he entered the city. It's a three-day journey through the city. 
he preaches the very first, first things that come out of his mouth. Everybody goes, done. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is, is, they are seeing, not Jonah. I mean, Jonah's not a good preacher. In fact, Jonah didn't want him to be saved. Can you imagine how good a preacher Jonah was? Jonah's not trying to convince people to uh, repent. He's hoping they won't repent. <laughs> Jonah, Jonah didn't want to go, and then after he got there, he repented. He went and set up that That's right. He was mad they repented. <laughs> That's exactly right. So the only thing that caused them to repent was Jonah's experience in the fish. But you see, you have to draw the line there. How'd they find that out? Jonah just didn't walk in the city and go, by the way, I got this cool story to tell you. I, you know, I, was, I didn't want to come and preach to you guys, and I got on a boat and, and blah, 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 and I got thrown in the ocean, and a big fish swallowed me, and I spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, and it speeded me out on the land. Boy, that was the worst part. Yeah, And uh, then I came over here, and, uh, and I'm telling you about it, and they're like, right. Somehow, some way, they had evidence of what had happened to Jonah before he even arrived. That, that maybe the, the guys on the ship, maybe some of them were from Nineveh, maybe they got back to Nineveh. Somehow, some way, those, those people in Nineveh knew about who this guy was. And the moment he walks in the city, he is a man who had been resurrected from the dead. And they repented, bam, just like that. He was a sign. It wasn't great preaching. He was a sign to the people of Nineveh. Just as Jesus, the resurrection changes his brothers, changes all kinds of people around because it is the sign that proves beyond any shadow of doubt that he is the Son of God. Okay, they said, show his son, show his son. He keeps doing miracles, show his son. He says, here's the only sign. When I raise from the dead, if that doesn't convince you, la-di-da. <laughs> I've done everything that can be done. That's the only sign that could. As you, as you talk about Jonah there, it makes me think of, uh, uh, it's like a reverse, a reversal of the story of Jericho. Of, all this stuff has happened. The Lord reached destruction on Egypt. You know, everyone that messed with the, with the Israelites is there. Uh, and the, as they're wandering, it's destroyed in the city. Once they begin the conquest, it's totally destroyed. Um, and then they come to Jericho. And one woman who knows all about this, which means the entire city has to know about it. Sure. One, only one person decides that they'll serve. After they've had all these magnificent wonderful, humongous signs. Yeah. And then, in the case of, of Nineveh, they know about one man who's resurrected. Yeah. In the whole city. Whole city. Yeah, that's and cool. Then, with Jesus, one man is resurrected. That's right. And the world can see. That's it. That's, it's great. It's, it's such a beautiful uh, picture. Yeah, Jacob. It does say that they repented of the preaching of John. Yes. He wasn't a terrible preacher. Yeah. <laughs> He was a he was a terrible preacher. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly right. I Barry's never converted a whole city. 
which goes to show that it's not how good a preacher you are. It's the Word of God. That's exactly right. Even yo-yos like me can do it. Something to his message, the mercy of God being offered to the Gentile nations. Maybe that's the cool Well, of course, but see here, the preaching would have done no good. And that's what Rebecca's pointing out. The preaching would have done no good if it hadn't been for the sign. He walks in and they're going, this is the guy who was raised from the dead. It's like I had heard the story about a fellow dirt bike rider when I was in Arkansas who had gone down a trail and a blackberry vine had wrapped around his neck and as he went by, it just cut his throat. And uh, I had heard that maybe he had lived and I walked into the Honda shop one day and I see a man standing with a scar right across here. And I went, you're the one, aren't you? He said, yes, <laughs> you've heard about me. I said, yes. And I said, what happened? He says, when it cut, I had a friend next, you know, his riding too. I got off my bike and looked around to see a place where I could lie down to die. Because I knew it had probably cut my carotid artery. And he said, my friend came over and checked. And he says, I can see your carotid artery, but it's not cut. Got me out to the road. He says, now live. And I went, man, life from the dead. <laughs> I was thinking... <laughs> From that time on, I rode down those trails. I rode like this, you know. <laughs> but it makes an impact on you when you see things like this. And then you just imagine Jonah walks in and they're like, this is the one. This is the one. And he says, if you don't repent, God's going to destroy you in 40 days. Boom. Everybody goes, I believe. That's it. Quite an impact. And that's what Jesus is comparing here. Uh, the sign of, of Jonah. It's just uh, a beautiful thing. By the way, you know, at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, tells us that uh, as he describes the gospel account, got what the gospel actually is, 15, 3, uh, he, he, 2 and 3 there, he actually says that uh, uh, this is what I told you first of all, that Jesus died according to scriptures, and that, in, that after three days he rose according to the scriptures. What Old Testament prophecy prophesied that Jesus would raise from the dead in three days? There's only one. Yes, Jonah. And yet you read the book of Jonah. Did you see Jesus raising from the dead in three days? Did you see the prophecy? No. Why didn't we answer the question? Why didn't we see the prophecy of Jonah telling us that Jesus would raise in three days? It has to do with our understanding of how we read Scripture. right. And what am I, how am I supposed to read Old Testament stories? How are, they to how, am I, how are they pointing to Jesus? That's exactly right. And that's why you will see repeatedly, and Matthew, Matthew's account does this especially, but you see it in the other gospel accounts too. You will see repeatedly a quotation from a historical account that doesn't, isn't prophetic, in itself in any way. It's just an historical statement or account. And yet, the New Testament writer says that was a prophecy of what was going to happen with Jesus. I mean, the classic is Joseph is warned that Herod's going to kill the baby. 
and says, take the baby into Egypt. And Matthew says, that was to fulfill the prophecy, I've called my son out of Egypt. And you go back to Hosea 11, and that's not a prophecy. That was God simply saying, remember when I brought you out of Egypt. But that was prophetic. What was prophetic? That God would bring his people out of Egypt, and therefore, he, Matthew just announced that Jesus is leading a new exodus out of Egypt to establish a new kingdom, to bring them to a new promised land. And all that's couched in that just little itty-bitty statement that isn't even quoting a whole verse out of Hosea, and we didn't see it because we're not reading the Scriptures properly. So before Jesus' Exactly. Now, first, let's, there's two questions there. So first, were they looking for this? Did they understand that principle? Yes, they did. And we can see that even in the uh, secular writings of the Essene community in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They looked for those things. This was not a surprise to them. Another evidence of that would be Matthew wouldn't have used that argument if he wasn't well known among the Jews. Otherwise, they'd have went, what? <laughs> what kind of use of Scripture is this? So those two things certainly indicate that they were aware they were supposed to look at. As far as seeing the details, then we'd go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12 and say, yes, the, the uh, prophets and the angels are diligently looking to figure all of those things out and can't because it's still a mystery. But they know there's something there. They know there's something there. Like, did anybody, did any, even the most faithful Jews, the 12 apostles, did anybody figure out that the Old Testament prophesied that, that the Messiah would raise, would die. Just that alone. Did anybody figure out the Messiah would die? Mm -mm. Nobody did. After he died, Peter's like, let's go fishing. <laughs> Back to the fishing business. That was fun. Thought it was going to work out. The two on the road to Emmaus. Yeah, we thought... And this is the third day, and we thought, you know, but no. Couldn't figure it out. So many things he said and prophesied, even when he was on the earth, talking to them. They Remember how many times they were puzzled when he'd say, I'm going to die? They'd go, Peter's, come here. You know, you got to stop that. That's not the way this works. I know the Bible better than you. <laughs> there you go. It's just funny. So there's really... it. it, it and most of uh, I mean, my, my upbringing uh, and the, the study that I've, you know, uh, listened to and the preaching I've listened to, the teaching I've listened to, nobody ever, 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 ever made that connection that I have ever heard. And I, I didn't come up with this. Marty Pickup is the one who introduced that to me finally uh, when I heard one of his lectures about 20 years ago. And I went, oh. Well, that answers a lot. <laughs> so then I started looking and I go, well, that's so obvious it's ridiculous. And, and it's just, we didn't read right. Now we understand more why you see scribes and Pharisees and stuff, and even the, just the even faithful Jews in that time, they grow up with preconceptions and are not careful students. How many times did Jesus say, haven't you read? Oh, would he say that to us? 
a jillion times. I can't wait to get there and hear how many times he says it to me. You know, didn't you read? Didn't you notice that? Well, yeah, I read it a thousand times. Yeah, but the blockage in our head of preconceptions that we grew up with and preconceptions that we invented in ourselves killed our our introspection and, and our inspection of the Word of God. So the ability to really cleanse your mind as you study and, and be able to discover these things is important. And it's important. That's why all of us are important together when we study, because somebody points something out and they open a little door for us that we've never been through before. And we're able to peer in and go, oh, there's a whole bunch more. Like when Marty said that to, to me, I turned around and went, thanks a lot. Now I got to, as one lady said to me recently, I got to start my study over again. I got to start all over again and read the Bible correctly. I'd missed it. And we keep doing that as new things are added to our collectivity of studying together. That's why it's so important that we do that. Because you bring things up I didn't see, and I go home and spend hours and hours and hours studying even some things that you have brought to my attention that I didn't see. We're all important to each other that way. And we grow that way. So that's why we need to do better. That's <laughs> really, really cool. I, I just, uh, I love to see these, these kinds of pictures. All right. Um, so, you, you know, uh, Stating about uh, the Queen of the South and the men of Nineveh rising up in judgment and condemning it. You know, whether or not, you don't, does that make you wonder whether they're going to rise up and actually, you know, be standing next to the Lord, you know, on the, on the throne, next to the throne. And here comes the people of the first century uh, in Galilee who had heard all of Jesus. And, and Jesus just goes, tell them. <laughs> just tell him <laughs> maybe but maybe it's just he's using this picture of they will be examples that these people could hear and see something so much less with so much less evidence than you have received and you didn't repent they are proof that you should have that you had the opportunity and you didn't and, and there's, of course, the real, real condemnation. Good, good. Yeah, someone greater is, is coming. And, of course, that just adds to the... Uh, evidence that these people had because John had come and given you know his preaching and evidence and the introduction he gives to Jesus and here's Jesus even the greater John didn't even do miracles Jesus does and they still don't repent so it, it, it is interesting to see what it takes now let's tie this next paragraph in because this is going to be really important this is the big pop that Jesus gives here on this message about signs. So he says, no one after, by the way, you notice how your Bible made a paragraph marking there and put a new title and all that? Yeah, uh, do the, some kind of bananas on that thing. I mean, that kills your thinking, doesn't it? Does mine, I have to say, don't look at the title. <laughs> don't look at the paragraph. It's not a paragraph. He's still talking. 
No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your, whole, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. We're dealing with hard hearts, stubborn hearts, hearts that see but do not see, and, uh, and do not respond. When Jesus gives this little parabolic picture here, who's at fault, Jesus or them? <laughs> Obviously. They're at fault for not seeing. Okay? So, why don't they see? He refers to it as darkness. Your heart is dark. What does that mean? What, what is the idea here? See the warning in verse 36. Therefore be careful lest... So it's all off. obviously he's throwing... He's throwing the responsibility on them. So what do they need to do in order to understand? Okay. Yeah, open their minds, let the light come in, let the teaching go in. What is necessary for that to happen? You know, get kind of specific. What's necessary? Why is it that you could teach the exact same thing to two different people as Jesus taught the exact same thing to different people? Some responded, some didn't. Why? It's kind of like the soils, you know? It's the exact same thing. Some people receive it because they have, they want to know. Other people have all their preconceived notions. They don't want to change. Okay. They want to keep what they're doing, and they feel like they're okay already, so they're not willing to change. So it's all about yes. what they have in their mind. It has to do with where your heart is, exactly. Is, is this a priority, or do I have other priorities? I remember reading um, Josh McDowell's book uh, many, many years ago, back in the early 80s, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, it's been updated and revised, considered an old book nowadays, but still actually very, very valuable. Uh, just an evidences book put in very simple language. But he talks about how that a person does not repent their... Uh, the, their inability to repent and change, and this is something important for you to remember, especially sharing the gospel with people, their ability to repent and change is not about the amount of evidence you give them. It is not based on not enough evidence. The evidence is overwhelming. What was the evidence for the Queen of Sheba? 
It wasn't very big compared to what we have today. And yet, she went all that distance to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, same with Nineveh, uh, same thing. Uh, so it's not a matter of a not enough evidence. By the way, let me add one to that. When we get to Luke 16, Jesus is going to tell the parable of, uh, of the rich man and Lazarus, <laughs> right? And Lazarus and rich man is going to say, well, if you just... If Lazarus will just raise from the dead, if you'll just raise him and send him to talk to my five brothers, they'll believe because somebody rose from the dead. And Jesus said, no, they won't. If they didn't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if someone rose from the dead. The problem is not a, amount of, is not a lack of evidence. The problem is, just as Jesus identifies it here, a dark heart. A heart that desires something more. Doesn't that be dark bad in, the, in a worldly sense, but it is bad. It's a desire for something more than what God is offering. Sin in your life takes your mind away. Possessions can do that. Jesus, in fact, uses the same parable in Matthew chapter 6 in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount to talk about why people uh, why, why they do not give their whole lives to God. And he says it's because your eyes are dark and your heart is dark because of what? He defines it, possessions. You're, more, you're so concerned about possessions. So the material realm, the sin in life, the desires, the lust, parable of the sower, the desires of other things entering in, choke the word so that it's not fruitful. So I, 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 this happens to me all the time, and it just blows my mind to teach. I teach a lesson. I told you this before, but I teach a lesson, and the person is so excited they can't stand it. They've just eaten it up. It's just amazing. That's the most amazing thing I've ever You know, and if I'm not careful, I think, boy, you really were a good teacher today. And then I teach the very next person, and they the same lesson, and they're just like, drooling out of the side of their mouth. So what? What's the problem? It's not the message. That's not the messenger. It's the heart. And that's exactly what he, hear, he he's talking about here. We do not, in this context, we do not need another sign. They didn't need another sign. What they needed to do was clean up the darkness in their heart. And then he says, you'll have light. And that will be the what will solve your problem. So the problem is not, and, and put it for our terms, the problem is not a lack of light. The problem is not the Word of God. The problem is not, oh, it's too deep. It's too hard. If I hear one more Christian say that, I'm afraid I'm going to do something violent to them. Uh, <laughs> that's not because that's casting blame on God. You see how bad that is? That's casting blame on God. It's not the problem. The problem is the heart. And I've got to do something about the heart. When I look at a text, and I've done this, you've done this. I look at a text and go, oh, I don't know what that means. Let me just go on. This is just, why did he put that there? Those thoughts have gone through my mind. Why did he put, well, that's not really. Why did I do that? Because I didn't want to see that part. It didn't just pop in my mind real easily. 
it takes too much work. And the Lord's going, no, you don't want to work very hard to see me? Is that your attitude? Is that your heart? Ooh, that stings. It ought to sting. <laughs> stings me when that, when that has happened in the past. Uh, so anyway, you don't have to hear a sermon today now. There's the lesson, huh? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us in that study.